Welcome to the Random Dental Articles podcast. This is a weekly newsletter in audio form that will focus on various areas of dentistry based on a collection of articles from the best ranked magazines. Hi everyone and welcome back to Random Dental Articles podcast. This week we introduce three new topics. We'll be approaching a Vols teeth, an overview of fissure sealants and a case report of pulp regeneration with a return to implantology and their little guys that help us with some difficult situations. Let's go. So, themes, oral surgery, prevention, regenerative endontics, and finally implantology. And starting off, we have Bourgeois 2022 with an article named Antibiotics at Reimplantation of Evolved Permanent Teeth, a Systematic Review. So the evolution of permanent teeth being one of the most severe dental injuries is an important subject when it comes to how to deal with it. The damage of supporting tissue and bone structure is critical, which is of the utmost importance when it comes to children and adolescents. Therefore, the purpose of this study was to assess the effectiveness and harms of the administration of systematic antibiotics at the reimplantation of a vol's teeth. In this case, three themes were found, tooth survival, periodontal healing and pulpal healing. So for the first one, tooth survival from one study only and after 24 month follow-up, there weren't significant differences between the antibiotic and no antibiotic groups. Nonetheless, the sample size was very small with only 24 patients. The periodontal healing was assessed in seven studies and there were no differences in results between groups. And about pulpal healing, the two studies that had data comparing antibiotherapy and the healing wasn't specific enough for a statistical significance due to its level of imprecision. This study also only considered medically fit patients, so there are no conclusions among immunocompromised or other comorbidities. Okay? These results lead to the fact that there isn't scientific support for the use of antibiotics at reimplantation of evolved teeth, but with everything that I said before, we can see that there is a really low quality of studies regarding this subject, and that is staggering. So the IADT, which is the International Association for Dental Traumatology, and the AAPD, which is the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, recommend their use routinely, even though they're based on studies performed in dogs and monkeys, and expert opinion. So keep that in mind when prescribing antibiotics for evolved teeth, even though both sides don't seem to have enough information to assess a firm conclusion. The second theme is about prevention from LAM 2021, named Fisher Sealant in a Nutshell, evidence-based meta-evaluation of sealant's effectiveness in caries prevention and arrest. So it was in the early 1960s that dental sealants were introduced to prevent and manage fissure caries by sealing the susceptible fissures and minimizing the stagnation of plaque rounder surface, less time plaque stays in place. This article aims to do a systematic review of the already published systematic reviews and meta-analysis. And the results of this investigation was of 38 systematic reviews and 24 meta-analysis regarding resin-based sealants or RBS, as I'm going to say from now on, versus no intervention. There's a moderate evidence that support their use on permanent molars on a 48-month follow-up and beyond, in this case a lower certainty for the beyond, but no evidence when among 
primary molars. The glassian armor sealants have little evidence when confronted with no intervention, but when compared to RBS, there isn't a statistical significant difference, again, with low level of certainty. The sodium fluoride varnish was less effective when comparing to RBS, but with the same results as glassian armor sealants. Also, acid etching and pretreatment with laser had the same results comparing to the conventional acid etching. Concerning arresting caries, this is another effect of feature sealants. There is moderate certainty of evidence that supports this effect, even in high-risk patients. There is no significant difference between materials regarding this subject. Also, the sodium fluoride varnish was more effective than no intervention in caries arrest in permanent dentition. The retention of RBS was about 39% after 9 years, whereas the glassionomer sealant varied between 51.8% and 94% in the first 3 years. So there's not a lot of comparison that we can say from that info. There is a significant increase of retention when adhesive was used, also when comparing etch and rinse systems to self-etch. Four systematic reviews evaluated the cost-effectiveness of feature sealants, being them better than no sealants when taking into account the high-risk individuals because of future restoration costs for at least two to three years. So we can conclude that there's enough support for the use of RBS with the etch and rinse adhesive protocol. Glassionomer sealants still need further investigation, as do other minimal dental procedures for establishment of hierarchy of effectiveness. Now we move on to a case report from Regenerative Endodontics of Sabeti 2020-20 named Regeneration of Pulp Dentin Complex in a Tooth with Symptomatic Irreversible Pulpitis and open apex using regenerative endodontic procedures. Since their successful implementation, Regenerative endodontic procedures have become more and more an important alternative to cases of irreversible pulpitis and necrotic pulps that otherwise would move to the inevitable root canal treatment in the conventional term. Some histological reports showed that true regeneration of the pulp dentin complex does not occur, there's the emergence of a fibrous and mineralized tissue. But recently, there have been in vivo cases of true regeneration. This is a study made to show true regeneration after pulpal amputation of 1 to 4 millimeters from the apex. So the case was of a 9-year-old female with crown fractures of teeth 11 and 21, with no pulp exposure, no response in tooth 11, and throbbing pain to cold in tooth 21, both teeth with open apices. The same approach was used for different cases. Tooth 21 with the throbbing pain had an irreversible pulpitis and tooth 11 with pulp necrosis. The approach included irrigation of 1.25% of sodium hypochlorite, sterile saline and 17% EDTA, a second appointment in which intracanal bleeding was induced with a 25k file to 4mm from the apex and blood was allowed until 3-4mm to 4 millimeters from the cemento-enamel junction with MTA placed on top of it. The differences were that on tooth 11 that had the pulp necrosis, a 10k file was used to brush against the canal walls to disrupt bacterial biofilm. Each 6, 12 and 18 month follow-ups had no significant issues, no symptoms and positive response to tooth 21 with negative sensitivity tests for tooth 11. 
and the CBCT results showed positive regeneration on tooth 11 with closure of the apical foramen and soft tissue up to the level of the MTA. In tooth 11, however, there was a still apical foramen closure, but there was hard tissue deposition up to the level of the MTA. These results lead to the conclusion that regenerative endodontic procedures do achieve the goal of elimination of symptoms. The use of this technique can also be of use for the treatment of vile, immature teeth, even though the pulp tissue form is not normal, but rather a mixture of bone, dental hard tissues and fibrous tissues. And the final article of this week is about implantology from Wu 2021, failure risk of short dental implants under immediate loading, a meta-analysis. When in the presence of insufficient bone height, short implants are an option that avoid more complex treatments such as autogenous bone graft or maxillary sinus augmentation. For this meta-analysis, short implants had to have less than 10 millimeters and resulted in 17 studies. In terms of overall failure rates, short implants had 2.69% of failure, so 15 in 557 implants, and standard implants had failed in 1.71% of cases, 22 out of 1,289. Still, there was no significant difference between failure rates of both groups under immediate loading. When comparing early first six months and late failure, the differences between groups were insignificant as well. So this meta-analysis helps to determine that even though there's a higher percentage of failure of short implants under immediate loading, the difference is not significant when compared to standard size implants, in this case 10 millimeters or more. But there's still a need for more large sample and well-designed studies for more reliable conclusions. And that's it for this week. Hope to see you around next week. Goodbye.